Hey everybody, welcome to the Inspire Podcast. This is Matt. And this is Brad. We are the pastors of Inspire Church in Westfield, Indiana. If you want to stay up to date with everything that's happening around here, be sure to subscribe to our text updates by texting the keyword INSPIRE. That's N-S-P-I-R-E to 317-451-4111. We hope the following message inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. in the 80s, in 1985. Look at that cute little kid. And I love all kinds of stuff about the 80s, especially the, who came up with this idea of like kind of having a second version of your photo in the corner just gazing off in the distance? I love it. Does it get more 80s than that? So I'm super pumped about this series. I've been wanting to bring this back for a long, long time. We did this years ago. Um, because I think, gosh, I mean, I, I, maybe I'm biased, but I think the 80s is like one of the greatest decades ever. Now, I was born in 77, which was a good year because that was the year that Star Wars came out. So I kind of feel like I was living the best of both worlds there. So in the 80s, we had great TV, great music, great advertising, and we just didn't realize how cheesy and corny it was because it was all we knew. Uh, We were asking a poll on Facebook earlier this week about some of your favorite TV shows from the 80s. Since this is a series that we're in, I want to kind of share a few of my little uh, highlights of memories there. The first show that, uh, that sticks with me, and I don't know if this was super popular or not. Tell me if you remember that. This is the intro to one of my favorite shows from the 80s. There you go. Greatest American Hero. Myself. 80s title intro, beautiful. Top notch special effects. Did anybody else go through the 80s like singing that song? Like, I love that song. As a kid, I would like put on my cape and I would pretend that I was the title character from this show, I love it. Unless you think that I'm just a Fairweather fan. No, as a matter of fact, I found this in a vintage store there. I have a 45 of Joe Scarsbury cover of that song that is loaded in my jukebox at home right now. So I am a dedicated fan from The Greatest American Hero. Interesting fact from that show, the show originally featured William Catt that you saw as the title character Ralph Hinckley. And it aired in a very unfortunate time because just a few weeks after that show aired, President Ronald Reagan, there was an attempted assassination by John Hinckley, who shared the same last name. And so because they didn't have the ability of going and reshooting it, they kind of rewrote the character. And for the rest of the show, he was called uh, Mr. H. So a little fun fact there of 80s trivia there for you. Another one of my favorite shows, though, and, and again, I'm a, a dedicated fan of this, too. If you were to call my phone, if my phone was off vibrate, you would hear this ringtone. I love the show so much. Right? I mean, who did not want this car in the dangerous world of a man who does not exist? Crusade to champion the cause of the innocent, the helpless, the powerless. 
starring the, the Hoff. Who operate above the Don't law. hassle the Hoff. I, I tell you what, I remember, again, distinctly as a kid, sitting in our family car, which was this uh, not-so-glamorous station wagon. It did not look at all like Kit, but I would pretend that it was. Like, I envisioned the dash with all these little dials and stuff. I remember taking construction paper and colored crayons and stuff, and I would kind of make little gauges, and I'd be in the car for hours out there pretending and talking to Kit. Anybody know what Kit stands for? A little uh, trivia here. Night Industries 2000 was the name of the car that would talk to David Hasselhoff. I loved the 80s. I loved the shows and, of course, the music, which is kind of like where we've camped around this series here since this is called 80s Mixtape. The band did a great job covering uh, one of the more seminal works of the 80s by the band Journey called Don't Stop Believing. Uh, recorded in 1981. I even pulled out my, my Journey 1981 tour shirt, and I think I was all of about four years old uh, when this tour happened, so I was just loving it, I'm sure. But uh, the song is kind of funny because in, it's a very fun, poppy, upbeat song, um, and yet, you know, the lyrics are, when you kind of look at it, a little bit, uh, a little bit dark. It's not exactly hopeful. He talks in the, uh, the, one of the verses there about working hard to get my fill. Everybody wants a thrill, paying anything to roll the dice just one more time. Some will win, some will lose, and some were born to sing the blues. And oh, the movie never ends. It goes on and on and on and on. And yet the chorus, the refrain is, don't stop believing. And that's kind of the idea there that, hey, life doesn't go the way you think it should go. So in the face of things that don't turn out the way you think, you just got just to gotta stay strong. Just keep believing. Don't stop. Don't stop believing. Now, I grew up, as I said, in the 80s, and, and my upbringing was unique because you've heard maybe little bits of my story, how I grew up in a uh, rather conservative, legalistic environment. So the brand of Christianity that was introduced to me at a young age was one that focused a lot about the rules and making sure you lived in accordance to the rules, making sure you were following and doing all the things you thought the Bible said you should do. And I remember growing up in this Christian culture that valued this rock-solid faith, rock-solid belief above all else. We, we sang songs like, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. As a, as a young kid, I remember going to church and of course, in the type of church I grew up, we went on Sunday morning, we went on Sunday night, and just to make extra sure we got enough church in us, we went on Wednesday nights too. And I would occasionally run the, uh, the overhead projector, which was not as fancy as this. It was a, an overhead slide projector. So anybody that has been in some old school churches, it was printed on these transparencies. You may have seen these in like old classrooms. And so they would put it on there, and so going to the next verse, it's like sliding it up or down. And then you'd have to be really, really good if you were a good song flipper at like in between songs, pulling the other one off and putting the next one on with just real class and doing it nice and gracefully. So there was a nice smooth transition. Um, but I remember sitting in church as a kid and I remember hearing verses like the ones out of Acts chapter 16 of the Macedonian jailer who asked Paul, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And in Acts 16, Paul replied, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And I'm saying in King James English because that was how it was read to me back then. And so I remember as a kid thinking, okay, that's what I have to do. I just have to believe. 
I need to believe in God and I need to not stop believing. But then, you see, it wasn't enough for me to just believe because right on the heels of that, I would hear verses like the one out of James chapter 2 and verse 19 that said, Thou believest that there is one God, thou dost well. The demons also believe and tremble. And here I'm a little kid thinking, well, crap, I, I thought all I needed to do was believe and just believe really, really good. But the demons apparently do too, and it doesn't help them. So I have to believe either, what, harder than the demons? Or what do I have to do? And so I remember being just worked up as a kid, trying to make sure my faith was strong enough, trying to make sure my belief was solid enough. Well, along the way throughout the years, little cracks began to appear in this rock-solid foundation of faith that I grew up in. When I was 13 years old, I went to a Christian school, and there was a girl in my class. Her name was Helga Murawski. And uh, we weren't especially close, but, you know, in the way that you are when you're 13, you know, you're friends with a lot of the kids in your classroom. It's a small Christian school, and she contracted leukemia. I'd never had a friend who had any type of serious disease before. So I visited her in the hospital. I visited her as she got her chemotherapy, as she began to lose her hair. And then eventually, in 1991, October 10th, she passed away. Prior to her passing away, I remember praying fervently for her. I prayed that God would heal her, and I believed that God would. I had faith all the way up right until it seemed at the very end that she wasn't going to make it. I believed that there was going to be a last-minute miracle. And then when the news came and she passed away, I remember distinctly this image in my head as I'm, as I'm walking out down the end of the long driveway in a country road in Lapeer, Michigan, where we lived. I'm walking down this dirt road, and I'm crying and sobbing because I was so confused. I thought that my belief would surely heal her. And I thought that God wanted to heal her. It didn't make sense. Fast forward a number of years. Early on in my ministry, I'm getting licensed through a denomination, not the one that we're part of, but years ago. And in 2008, I'm meeting with this denominational kind of review board, and they kind of ask you all these questions, making sure they're checking all the right boxes. One of the questions that I had filled out an answer for, they wanted to come back to because they were intrigued by my answer. And the question was something along the lines of, you know, what do you think, what is their answer to what happens to the people around the world and throughout history who have never heard the gospel given to them? What happens to them? And I remember writing something to the effect that I have to believe that God's grace and love is big enough that just because someone hasn't heard does not determine whether or not they're going to spend eternity away from God. I believe God's love is bigger than that. And the individual who was asking me these questions wanted to make sure that I knew that, well, according to the Bible, those who have not ask Christ into their heart. Those who have not prayed the prayer are going to spend an eternity separated from God. And, and they kind of chastised me a little bit to say it's important that we stick to these truths. These are essential truths. They're foundational to our faith. It didn't feel very foundational to me because it didn't feel very grace-filled. It didn't feel like the God that I thought I was praying to. In 2012, we had just planted what was the predecessor to this church, Imagine Church, before Imagine and City Spring came together. 
there were a group of pastors that were connected to me called the lead team, and they were supporters of the church, both financially. They prayed. We met about once a quarter prior to the launch. Launching a new church is it's tough. It's a lot of work. And so we had these, these individuals, these men that supported us, and we grew close to them. One in particular that I respected tremendously, really, really looked up to him. He was a pastor outside of Indianapolis, had a very thriving fairly large church. And the call came from the elders that asked if I could come and speak on a Sunday morning because they had received news that this pastor had been discovered to have been lying to his spouse for years and he had been living a double life. He had had an affair that had gone on for a long time. And I was shocked. I was shell-shocked. I, I never would have anticipated this man above anyone else. I respected him tremendously. And just like that, piece after piece, little cracks began to appear in the foundation, little elements of doubts. A couple more years later, in 2016, another close pastor, a prominent blogger, pastor in Nashville, Tennessee, one that um, had grown uh, connected to Lisa and I throughout the church planning journey. We had spent some time with him and his wife. He had to step down in the wake of numerous affairs, lying and all kinds of other things. And it just seemed that chip after chip began to take away this solid foundation. And for years, I'd been taught growing up that I should believe strongly, and that belief precluded any doubts. If I began to have doubts, I should shove them aside, and I should just believe stronger. Don't stop believing. Just keep believing. And I would say that that statement could be filed under the list of things that we should not say to people, things that are not helpful, things that give Christians sometimes this bad rap that we have, things that we say to people like, just have faith, or everything happens for a reason when you're going through difficult times, or, or God will never give you more than you can handle. Doesn't that just make you feel good when you're going through a really, really crappy time, and somebody well-meaning says that to you, and you're just like, well, it feels right now like this is about as much as I can handle, and what you just said doesn't help. You see, I want to I propose to you that maybe a blind faith and maybe a just don't stop believing approach to our faith is not really what Christ had in mind. I want to read a story out of John chapter 20, verse 19. This takes place after the crucifixion and the resurrection. It says, That Sunday evening the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. So Jesus had arisen. He had appeared to uh, Mary in the garden, and uh, others had seen him, but they were still kind of hiding, trying to keep uh, a low profile. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you. Shalom, he says. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Verse 24 goes on and says, One of the 12 disciples, his name is Thomas, and in the footnotes, it's, it says that his nickname was the twin. We'll get to that in a second. Thomas was not with the others when Jesus came. So they told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it until I see the nail wounds in his hands and I put my fingers in them and place my hand into the wound in his side. 
Now, of course, we know this disciple by another nickname. Do you know what that is? Say it with me. Doubting Thomas, right? I mean, I got to feel bad for this guy. Out of all the disciples, he's the only one that gets a nickname and a crummy nickname at that. Like, I mean, all the other characters could have had nicknames. I mean, we didn't call him Needy Nicodemus. We didn't say Codependent Martha. We didn't say Pissed Off Peter because like all of those guys could have had nicknames. And somehow Thomas gets tagged with the nickname Doubting Thomas. Goes down in history. It's almost a colloquialism now where people who aren't even in the church will call you a Doubting Thomas if you don't believe something. I, I kind of feel bad for him because you see, Thomas was not weak or spineless. We know because in John chapter 11, earlier in the book of John, there's an account where Jesus and his disciples are going to go into Jerusalem and Jesus knows that they're heading into a dangerous situation. He knows that the religious leaders have it out for him. And you know what Thomas said to the other disciples when they were talking about going in? In John eleven sixteen, 16, Thomas said to his fellow disciples, let us go too so that we may die with Jesus. He was incredibly brave. He was willing to lay down his life for this man he had followed. And yet, he had some shred of doubt because other people had seen something that he found hard to believe. We don't know Thomas's backstory. Maybe Thomas was the one that always got pranked. Maybe his nickname for the, in the disciples was Gullible Thomas, you know? You ever have that one friend where you can like always play pranks on them? And it's really fun, but you kind of feel bad at the same time because they're so gullible, they believe just about everything. You know, maybe this was Thomas, you know. Hey, oh, Thomas, did you see the sale on the sandals over there at that booth? You got to go over there. He's giving two-for-one sandals. And he goes over to the booth vendor, and the booth vendor throws something at him, and he comes back. He's, guys, can't believe I fell for that again. Maybe, maybe that was his story, or maybe not. Maybe he just legitimately found it hard to wrap his mind around something so phenomenal. But for whatever reason, we know that he had doubts as to the validity of the story that was told to him. He had doubts, but he didn't lose his faith. Because you see, faith and doubt are not mutually exclusive. Faith essentially is trust. I heard one Catholic theologian say it this way, that faith is kind of like a rest the rest that we have in relaxing around a close family member or friend. You know how when you get around that one family member, maybe your spouse or maybe a really, really close friend, how you just kind of like, you know, don't worry about keeping up the appearances. You know, this is the one friend that you can kind of hang out in your pajamas with and drink wine and you don't care what you look like. This is that friend that like you don't have to feel you have to have the house all pulled together when they come over. It's that kind of rest and relaxing where you're comfortable around them. And this one theologian said that that's kind of what faith is. It's kind of letting down our guard as being around something that we believe in so thoroughly that we just become comfortable with it. But faith can exist in the midst of doubts. And faith, and this is so essential, contrary to the way that I was raised, contrary to those stories they told you about earlier, faith is not intellectually attaching ourselves to this set of theological assumptions. Faith is not checking all the right boxes to make sure we believe all of the right things. 
Faith is not making sure that we line up according to this theological credo and that we have completely bought in hook, line, and sinker to this theology or to that denomination or to that church belief. Faith is relaxing and leaning into a relationship. And just like all relationships, they can go through difficult times. Anne Lamott says that faith includes noticing the mess and being okay with it. She goes on to write in her book, uh, Traveling Mercies, which is a fantastic book. She said, my coming to faith did not start with a leap, but rather with a series of staggers from what seemed like one safe place to another. Like lily pads, round and green, these places summoned and then held me up while I grew, and each one prepared me for the next leaf on which I would land, and in this way I moved across the swamp of doubt and fear. When I read that quote first from that book, I thought that so perfectly summed up my faith journey. Because if you've been around Inspire at all, you know that we, we talk about our faith life in that way. We use that language. We call it a faith journey because that's exactly what it is. It's a journey. Sometimes we make a lot of progress. Sometimes we're at a standstill. Sometimes we're broke down on the side of the road. Sometimes we take the wrong turn and we wind up where we didn't think we would be. It's a journey. It's an evolving growth process that we're all in. And we don't measure ourselves by how far we've come or how long we've been on the trip. We just know that we're on this journey and we choose to associate in community with other people who are on a similar journey. Maybe they're wrestling with things that you're not and that's okay. But just like Anne said, we stumble or stagger our way along. Sometimes we tentatively or timidly hop from one lily pad to the next. And sometimes our faith is just enough to be present in that moment where we are. And we don't know if we even have enough faith to take the next step. And that's okay. Because our faith does not have to be this all figured out, all encompassing, I've got this together kind of a thing that unfortunately I think a lot of Christians portray or give the impression of in this world. No, our faith can be just stumbling and staggering our way along and sometimes it means that I don't know where I'm going next or perhaps I'm not even sure if I'm on the right path. And guess what? Our God is bigger than the doubts and the questions that we ask. Those questions, those doubts do not determine God's love for us. When you go back and you read the passage there that we read in John about Thomas, you find that Jesus meets him and appears again to the disciples. And he singles Thomas out. And he gives him exactly what he wanted. He's like, feel the wounds in my hand. Put your fingers to my side. He doesn't chastise Thomas. He doesn't berate him. He doesn't say, Thomas, you're out. You didn't believe. All the rest of these guys believe you're out of here. He doesn't say, Thomas, I want you to go and sit in the back of the room there until you think about what you've said and what you've done. And when you finally decide to be a big disciple, you can come and sit with the rest of these guys. No. He welcomes him exactly as he is, doubts and all. 
You see, we value this kind of approach to our faith journey here at Inspire. We have four elements that we talk about on a regular occurrence here. One of them, the fourth one is, I, don't, I know you're not supposed to have favorites, but this one's probably one of my favorites. And it's called Embracing Wonder. It says this, that here at Inspire, we invite questions, understanding that the opposite of faith is not doubt, <clears throat> but certainty. We choose to embrace the wonder of an infinite God instead of building a box to try to contain or understand him. When I finally came to that point in my faith journey where I could let go of the need to have it all figured out, when I finally came to that point in my faith journey where I could let go of this certainty that I felt I had, which really wasn't certainty at all. It was putting forward a front of certainty while still shoving down all these questions and doubts. When I could let go of that, it was like I could breathe again. I was worried when I, when I kind of began to give room and voice to some of the doubts and questions because it felt, for me, like pulling threads that once I started pulling, the whole thing would come unraveled. I was worried that my faith, built over years of absolutism and certainty, would not hold up to the questions when I brought them out into the light of day. What I realized is God is just as comfortable with our questions and our doubts. He is okay with us not being okay. As a matter of fact, he says, come to me. And when you come, he says, blessed are those who come like little children. You ever met a little child? Do you ever have, do, do some of you right now have a child at that age where they're asking questions about everything? And like, it's kind of like, okay, I get that I'm trying to help you grow cognitively, but can we just please take a break from the questions? We don't have to know the answer why to everything. I'm just telling you right now, because I'm your mom, because I'm your dad, that's why. And sometimes we'll pull that out. And it works for about two minutes and they keep asking more questions. The reason I think that God said to come to him like a little child is because it's okay to ask the questions. It's okay to not have the answers. And this may come as a shock or maybe a relief to some of you, I don't know. But Matt and I as pastors, we don't have all the answers. Half the time, I'm not even sure if I'm even asking the right questions. But I keep asking, I keep wrestling, and I know that my faith is secure, not because it's built on this absolute truth of certainty, because it's a relationship. It's a journey. It's a stumbling from one lily pad to the next. One timid step to the next. Another author who kind of went through this deconstruction process himself, his name is Mike McCarg, and he wrote a book called Finding God in the Waves. He said, what I've learned to do is to be certain that I am uncertain, to revel in the fuzziness of my understanding of the world and to look with great anticipation towards the next moment, I'll figure out that I'm wrong about something. You know what that is? That, that's called humility. It's realizing there are lots of things we don't know. It's coming to grips with the fact that life is messy, that our journey is not always a straight line. Sometimes we're all over the place. Sometimes we're just way off 
in left field on this crazy detour. It means that we come to grips with the fact that we have questions and doubts. Instead of trying to hide them, we sit with them. We listen to them. And we know that God loves us just as much. That passage that we read earlier in John chapter 20, if you go down to the end of that chapter and towards the end of the book, this is how the book of John closes out. Because John was one of the disciples who put forward an account of Jesus that was less historical and focused a lot on the relational side of things. It's one of my favorite out of the four Gospels. And he concludes his book with this account. He says this, he said, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book, but they are written so that you may, and I have this underlined, so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Some translations will say, so that you may believe, and that Greek word there is a present tense that is ongoing. So it is better translated, so that you may believe and continue to believe. I find that interesting, and I find that interesting that he used that word because I think John realized that belief is not something that we just kind of grit our teeth and do, and then it's done. It's an ongoing process. So that we may believe in God and continue to believe. That means that there are going to be days where our belief is not very strong, or we may not believe at all. Guess what? God still loves us. God doesn't kick us out. He doesn't make us sit in the corner and think about what we've said or the questions we've asked. John said, so that you may believe and that you may continue to believe. That's my prayer for you, that you can become comfortable with the questions become comfortable with the doubts. And in the face of Christians or people who will just tell you, just keep believing, don't stop believing. To those who are telling you that's a blind faith, a leap of faith, that you can just tune out those voices and choose to rest in your relationship with God, a relationship that is not based on you checking all the right boxes, answering all the right questions, or even having it all figured out that you may believe, and that you may keep on believing. My key thought, the little takeaway that I want you to take away from this is this, that God's love is stronger than our doubts. Stronger than our doubts. Remember that little, the more you know from the 80s? A little fun throwback. There's room in God's love for all of your questions, all of your doubts, all of your uncertainty. And there's room here at Inspire for you because you belong here wherever you're at on that journey, even if where you're at is that you don't believe at all. Even if you doubt the whole thing, you still belong. You're still loved. You're still valued. Can I pray for us? God, thank you. Thank you for giving us a faith that is not based on head knowledge, <clears throat> that is not based on a set of theological assumptions, that is not based on platitudes or pithy sayings. Thank you for inviting us into a relationship with you, for inviting us on a journey. 
And all we want to do is just to take the next step and the next step after that. Help us to let go of the need to have it all figured out. Help us to make room for the questions, the doubts, the uncertainty. And let us feel your presence with us, your love for us that transcends all. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Westfield area, we'd love to see you at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions and more information about our services and family ministries, check out our Facebook page or visit us online at www.inspire.church.